Hi there, Duke fans. It is Tuesday afternoon, and it is time for DBR podcast episode number 461, the Duke Basketball Duke Basketball Report, coming to you from Atlanta and from the West Coast today. I'm Jason Evans. I'll be hosting from my home base here in the South. Joining me is Sam Klein. Sam, where are you? I am in Southern California for the holiday. And just before we started recording, Jason said, Sam, you're not going to make any mistakes that I need to edit out on this program. <laughs> and then, Jason, you flubbed your intro to this thing. Yeah, that, that's, how it, that's how it works. That's how it goes sometimes. But we're going to plow through, even with my verbal mistakes. Guys, here, here uh, guys, Sam, obviously, Donald Wine is not with us today. Uh, Donald remains at the World Cup uh, over in Qatar, uh, having a great time. I'm sure. And uh, I, I hope we'll hear from him very soon. But he didn't need to check in for what we have today. We're going to be recapping Duke's victory over Bellarmine uh, just last night. Um, a, uh, you know, both a workmanlike and a impressive victory, I thought, for the Blue Devils. And we'll be looking ahead. The PK-85 out there in Portland. It's coming up. The Nike tournament that Duke is in will be playing on Thursday, Friday and Sunday. We will preview the games that Duke will have on Thursday and and Friday. Uh, we won't go so far as to preview what's happening on Sunday when Duke might face Gonzaga, uh, depending on how the brackets work out. But we'll we'll look ahead to what Duke has in the first two rounds of that very prestigious, very important tournament. But Sam, we begin with the Blue Devils taking on Bellarmine last night. The final score was Duke 74, Bellarmine 57. And we have to do headlines first. So, Sam, give me your headline, and uh, you know what, what's your major takeaway? We got a few good ones from the listeners, specifically those that reference the fact that Bellarmine are the Knights, and I went with a pun around that. So I, I said, Knights Valiant in defeat against Duke. I thought, and we're going to talk about this, I think, at length, Jason, but Bellarmine acquitted themselves really well in this game, despite sort of Duke holding them at arm's length for the last... 30 minutes of the contest. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned, uh, we got a, we got a ton, I mean, an unbelievable number of people who wrote into the inbox at DBR podcast at gmail.com to send us their headlines from this game. Wow. It was, it was stunning. I, I woke up this morning. I was like, Oh my God, my, my inbox is just full of people who have sent me headlines. And, and like you noted, um, we, we can't read them all. It, it would take way too much time. <laughs> but the ones that I like, the ones that we're going to highlight, uh, both play off that that notion that the Bellerman uh, nickname is the Knights, K-N-I-G-H-T-S. Um, Jim Harris sent us a good one. He said, night, night for the Knights. And Jason Wilkinson was on the same kind of theme. He said, devil's night, but he spelled night with a K. Uh, so both of those I thought were were decent headlines to highlight. And again, people Send us your best suggestions, your best ideas for a headline from each one of the games. My headline from the game, Disciplined Duke uses D to bash Bellerman because I think the biggest thing that Duke did in this game was play good defense. But before I get to what I think, Sam, I'll go to you first. Give me your major takeaway on this contest. I had one more headline I needed to highlight because listener Lee Maxson sent us to the Knights, Duke says knee. And... And he spelled it wrong. So Jason <laughs> thought that it was a reference. He, he spelled it as nicht, like it was the Which German. Which is German. That's German for no. I thought, yeah. But what he was actually referencing was Monty Python. Oh, it's Monty Python. Okay, well, if he'd said, if it said N-I, I would have said it was Knights who said knee. 
but it he was, said they nicked, and I was like, "What is?" Anyway, it? we 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 all make mistakes. It's totally fine. <laughs> but Jason, you wanted my takeaway from this game. There's, I guess, I'll, I'll I just want to do this from Duke's perspective because I did want to talk. I, I wanted to praise Bellerman and the way that they attacked the Blue Devils and how they didn't let this game get out of hand for them. Um, so just very quickly on that, the way that Bellerman was able to use their sort of creative offensive playmaking to keep Duke honest, especially in the first half, I thought was really impressive. That being said, Duke figured out pretty quickly that the way to overwhelm Bellerman was taking three pointers and using their size. And I know you're going to talk a lot about the rebounding effort that Duke put on yesterday. Uh, they Bellerman was, was able to pull down almost no, um, almost no offensive rebounds. Duke was really locking them up on the defensive glass and then was, and then was again tough uh, at the at Duke's offensive end pulling down rebounds. So I was I was impressed with with all of that execution for Duke. We also talked about how this game could be slow. Totally fine for Duke to play at that pace. It, it sort of a double edged sword for Bellerman. Where and I know that they talked about this in the in the post game, but when Bellerman gets down fifteen, it's sort of hard to come back. We're going to talk when we get ahead to the preview of the Phil Knight legacy tournament that Duke is playing in this week, how there are some fast paced teams that Duke might face on Friday between Florida and Xavier. And so it'll be an interesting contrast in styles. I, I feel like in the early part of this season, I think Duke is more comfortable playing slow, like playing at Bellarmine's pace and is fine playing at a fast pace, but it's sort of something we need to see the team develop. Yeah, I don't know about that because John Shire has talked about he wants this team to play fast, and they certainly, when they get the ball on on offense, they try to push it. There were a number of times in this game where Duke raced the ball up court because they want they were trying to get Bellerman to play a little bit quicker. But but I agree with you; they look like they're comfortable playing whatever style you want, especially on the defensive end of the floor. And I wanted to start with that. I just thought we did a great job of not getting hypnotized by the ball movement by Bellerman. We we didn't fall for their numerous shot fakes. I, I think because our guys knew that our athleticism and our advantages in height and speed would allow us to, you know, maybe react a heartbeat later than usual and still be able to contest a shot. Um, Mark Mitchell in the postgame had an interesting quote. He, he said, you know, they don't stop moving at all. He said, it was really hard for us to provide help defense because you had to still know where your man was. And he said it was just a really good challenge for us. He, he's right. The, the fact that Bellerman is constantly moving and shifting around, if you take your eye off your man for a second to provide help, your guy's going to backdoor you and, and you're going to get beat. And I thought the fact that Duke didn't have that happen to them was a real, real sign of maturity from a very, very young team. These guys have picked up the defense super fast. And, and then the other thing I want to mention about that really quickly, Sam, I just wanted to say sort of like you did. I was just so impressed with how Bellerman was able to run the shot clock really late all the way down to zero and still get off a fairly decent shot. I mean, they made us play defense for 35 seconds and it's great for this team that they succeed that for Duke, that we succeeded at playing defense for 35 seconds. There's an interesting contrast also in the fact that Bellerman basically plays five guys, 30 minutes. And they have a, you know, just looking at their at their minutes from last night, and it felt like they were, by the way, like trying to keep the thing competitive the whole way through. So I think these minutes should be fairly representative. 
they only had six guys uh, play more than 10 minutes last night. And the other three guys only got in sort of towards the end. Whereas Duke has been playing a lot of guys, regular minutes yesterday, uh, Derek Whitehead just squeaked by with 10 minutes and therefore Duke had nine players on the floor. The nine that we've really seen so far this year, no Jaden shoot, but everybody else got, got minutes and everyone played 10 minutes last night. So Duke is constantly switching guys in and out of the lineup. We speculated a lot early in the season about what the eventual minutes breakdown is going to be. And I don't think we're there yet, right? If, if Tariq White is still only playing 10 minutes, we're not at sort of full strength expected version of Duke, but We'll talk, I think, when we when we talk about individual player performances. Maybe we start with Kyle Filipowski. He only plays 21 minutes in this game. In a game where where Duke was, I think, trying to, you know, figure more things out. They get they get a little bit more practice time, practice, quote unquote, before they they head to Portland. Filipowski has been the best player on the team this season. Ken Palm says that he's one of the five or six best players in the country so far this year. And he only plays 21 minutes against Bellarmine. Yeah. Hey, before we get to the other players, there are a couple other, you know, macro team things I, I would like to talk about. Uh, wrapping up the defensive conversation on the season, Sam, Duke is currently giving up 53.2 points per game. Now, I know we've played mostly overmatched opponents, Kansas really being the only team we've played that that expects to be in the NCAA tournament. But still, 53 points per game is really impressive. No one can score on us. We've given up 266 points on the season through our first five games. That's the least number of points through five games of any Duke team since 1948-49. I can't even name anyone on the 1948-49 team. <laughs> I, I would say it's a year that would live in infamy, but yes. I have no idea what to remember from that year. <laughs> well, uh, the, the Duke Sports Information Department tells me that's the last time Duke gave up as little as 266 points in their first five games. Uh, we Also, I want to note something. We continue to be a team that does not put our opponent on the free throw line. We do not give up easy baskets. Bellarmine only shot six free throws in this game, and that's not an aberration on the season. Duke is now third in the country, number three of all the teams in Division I basketball at our opponent's free throw rate, at the number of times we put our opponent on the line. That's really, really impressive. Okay, let me get to the other macro things I wanted to, uh, you know, big picture things I wanted to mention. Ball movement. It was yet another game where we saw the entire team looking for the extra pass, looking for the second pass, not looking for the most obvious guy to be open, but looking for a guy who is maybe one more player beyond or making one extra pass. And it's just incredibly advanced considering these guys are freshmen and they haven't played together very much. We had 18 assists in this game on 25 made baskets, an assist rate of 72%. Ah. And as we've been seeing all year long, there are a lot of different guys doing this. It's not just one guy or one or two guys getting the assists. We had six different players get multiple assists in this game. Jeremy Roach led the team with five. Got to talk about the rebounding really quick. Duke has now out-rebounded our opposition by double digits in all five games this year. I'm going to repeat that because that's so stunning. Every that's single awesome. team... Every single awesome. team we have played this year, all five of them, we've out-rebounded them by double digits. The last time Duke had five games in a row with double-digit rebounding margin was 1998-99. I can name players on that team. <laughs> that you 99, know a few of them. Yeah, yeah I, I, I know that team by heart. That 99 team, one of my favorite Duke teams of all time, maybe one of the best Duke teams, the best Duke team to never win a title, I think. <clears throat> um, Jason, on that rebounding yeah. note, 
I am um, among the things that I am curious to see when Duke goes to Portland and then they come home and play Ohio state in another very tough game right after that in the big ACC big 10 challenge. I'm curious to see how all of these statistical, you might even call yeah. them anomalies maintain, right? If Duke has to play Gonzaga on Sunday, I hope Duke gets to play Gonzaga on Sunday for, for me. I want to see Duke playing more good teams and, and playing Gonzaga likely means that Duke is in the finals of that uh, Phil Knight legacy tournament. But one of the things I'm looking forward to is Duke going up against Gonzaga's front line that features Drew Timmy. Any opportunity that Duke gets to play teams like that, I'm excited for. And by the way, Florida and Xavier, the teams we're going to preview later, also come with with a fair bit of size. So these are challenges that that Duke is going to have to step up for this week. Yeah. By the way, my hot take is in the PK-85, Drew Timmy is not the best big man in that tournament. I'll tell you who is in a little bit. How's that for a deep tease for you? I Is it possibly someone we're going to play on Friday? Uh yeah. Uh, yes. In all yes. likelihood. I think I mean, so. Possibly. Dep- depends on if they win their game, but we'll get and to if, that in a minute. Duke, Duke and that team have to win their game. Right. Exactly. Uh, or, or lose that game, which would, which would suck. But anyway, uh, on the rebounding, you were talking about, you know, are these things aberrations or are they real? One thing I want to see is, is Tyrese Proctor really this great a rebounder? I mean, remember he had 10 last game, he had 10 rebounds last game. And I was sort of like, Oh, you know, he's just grabbing, you know, defensive boards. It's not, he then has eight in this game. That's 18 in the past two games. Tyrese Proctor, he also had two blocked shots. Is in this a game a- that was slow, right? Yeah. Like it, it's one thing for it's one thing for there to be a lot of chaos in a game and a guard happens to get eight or ten rebounds, like you said, because he just sort of happened to be standing in the mid-range area. But in a game that's slow for a guard to get those rebounds, he's looking for them. All right. So can we get to players now? I'd like I want to get to a couple players. You already mentioned Filipowski. Another great game. He's now led Duke in scoring in four out of five games this year. Uh, he, as you mentioned, he's he's among the top five players in the land in Ken Pomeroy's rating of the best player in the country. That's unreal. Unbelievable that he's doing this so far. But the two guys I want to highlight from this game are two guys that came off the bench, Jalen Blakes and Jake uh, Jacob Grandison, who they keyed Duke's early run. Like, it was a, clo- it was a close game. I mean, it's just, you know, just a few minutes in. But they came in and really turned up the energy for Duke and gave us a lead that we would never relinquish. Uh, Jim Sumner, friend of the podcast, Jim Sumner, who has a great newsletter that everyone needs to sign up for, said in his newsletter, he quoted John Shire as saying that Jalen and Jacob Grandison just bring a certain about of, amount of energy. They play the game the right way, and they're all about winning. What a great quote, quote, quote from your coach about you. I mean, like, if your coach says you're all about winning, it's a pretty nice thing for him to say. Blake's led the team. Jalen Blake's led this team in plus minus. He was plus 15 in just 19 minutes of play. That, that's impressive. That's a big number. He continues to attack on offense and he is so bothersome on defense. And then Grandison, I, I, I'm yet to see that guy take a bad shot. He took seven threes. Every single one of his threes was the right shot to take in that moment. And four of them went in, right? And we talked early in the season about how Jacob Grandison's three-point shooting is going to be a deep pocket secret weapon type of thing for Duke. Not that teams won't know that it's coming, but as scared as you can get about facing Filipowski and Lively, Proctor, Whitehead, these guys, Grandison's going to come off the bench and hit threes. And hopefully Jalen Blakes continues to come off the the bench and bring all of that intensity that I think I was highest on in the preseason, but I sort of wasn't sure, like, is he going to be like, 
high energy defense guy that plays six minutes a game, or is he going to play 15 minutes a game? And it feels like we're headed for the 15 minutes a game. And with a lot of, you know, steady rotation in and out of who's doing the ball handling, who's picking up the toughest defensive assignment. Some of that feels like it's going to be a size based thing as opposed to, you know, Blake's is, is definitely the best defender or Proctor is the best defender or Whitehead eventually when he gets healthy is the best defender. Uh, this is all stuff that, that still feels very fluid. And, and I am excited about that. It does feel like John Shire is committed to a deeper bench than coach K was at least in, in any recent memory. Yeah. And, and speaking of Blake's last word on him, I, you know, I was the guy who was the most skeptical of him playing any crunch time minutes and Duke hasn't had a game other than the Kansas game where there has been a crunch time where you've been able to see who might be in the rotation. And I still don't think Jalen Blake's is going to be someone who features a lot in crunch time, but man, I, I, I won't be shocked if he does find some time there because there are things he brings to the table in energy and in defense, especially that, that help this team in a big way, uh, in a way that I did not see in the preseason. I just didn't think that that was going to happen. And by the way, on offense, he has looked a lot stronger, both in like stepping into good shots. He had a couple of, of three pointers last night and attacking the basket. I'll I'll get ahead of myself and tell you that my play of the game was Jalen Blake's layup where he's sort of falling over. Uh, and this was early in the game when things were, I guess, a little bit more in doubt. Bellerman and Dukes sort of went back and forth for the first six, seven, eight minutes. And Blake's layup was one of those moments that was like, okay. We got this. By the way, Jalen Blakes is hitting 50% of his three-pointers in the season. Did you know that? That's awesome. I love that. I did, yeah. I did. I had not picked up on that yet. Let's see it. Let's see that continue. And 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 Mark Mitchell's also hitting 50% of his threes. If I had told you in the preseason that Jalen Blakes and Mark Mitchell would hit half their three-pointers in the year, you would think I was insane, but that's what well, we've got so far. We're also five games into this thing. Yeah, and, exactly. And only and only one of them has been a contest that anyone expected to be close. So, right. uh, again, I, I'm going to say this a million times. Call me again, you know, after Duke finishes the run in Portland plus the Ohio State game. Right, exactly. We're we're in the uh, the small sample size region of three-point shooting, I think. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, before we get to the bad, Sam, I had one thing that I was like, it's both good and bad, so I'm going to drop it in here. Three-pointers. I told you. I told you in the preview that Bellerman gives up a lot of three-pointers. I feel like around the middle of the second half, Duke fell in love with a three-pointer too much. We were taking too many of them. They were allowing us to take it, and it may not have been the best choice every time down the floor. And I, I didn't go back and look, but I think – I think we may have had a run of about six or seven three-pointers in a row at one point. You just, you got to have a little more balance than that. But even though I'm going to tell you that, you know, I think we shot them a little too frequently, uh, you know, we, we did, we did hit 40% from three. We made 14 three-pointers. So 42 of the 74 points that Duke scored in this game, more than half the points we scored came from three-pointers. So that's, that's a big percentage of our audio, of our offense. The one thing about the three-pointer that I didn't like, again, I think with us taking them too quickly and us mostly having guys standing on the perimeter, our offensive rebounding was not this game what it usually has been this year. And I think part of that was because we were, you know, taking these threes and not getting guys inside at all. We only offensive rebounded 37% of our missed shots, but which is a good number for most teams, but not what Duke Duke's been up close to 50% this season. 
and Bellerman is a small team. And I, I, you know, like I said, this is both good and bad on the three pointers. I feel like taking as many threes as we did, taking them as quickly as we did at times may have allowed Bellerman to hide the fact that Duke was going to dominate them on the boards even more. And maybe the fact that Tyrese Proctor was the one clanging all the three pointers means that he wasn't in, in position to be doing all the offensive rebounding because apparently <laughs> he's go. more of a rebounder than a shooter. <laughs> I love it. All right, Sam, what's the bad? We got to have a little bit of bad, right? I, I think it is Proctor. Uh, sort of, he has a, he has another weird game on offense and, and I, I don't know as excited as I am that Blake's does some of the ball handling Roach does some of the ball handling Proctor does some of the ball handling. I do want to see a little bit more consistency in Duke's offensive attack. Uh, it, it's, it's great that lots of guys can bring the ball up the floor, but there were a few times last night where it sort of doesn't matter who was running the ball up, but the ball is coming up the floor and it's not clear that the guys are, are spacing themselves into, into appropriate lanes. Um, you might see them overcrowding one side of the floor and leaving the rest of the floor open. And there's just a lot of adjustment that's going on. I feel like some of that is Proctor, but it, it also feels like a team problem. Maybe this is something that, that is going to get worked out with additional practice and additional film time of which they won't have, probably enough over the next week, given how many hard games they have coming up and the fact that there's a trip all the way to the West coast. I imagine given, you know, that like the, they'll fly out to, they're flying out to Portland today. I think we saw on social media, they'll fly all the way back from the West coast on, on Sunday night into Monday. They have another game on Wednesday. So I don't know how much film time they're going to have to fix all of this spacing trouble, but some of that is what's happening on offense. And I don't know, I can't tell the extent to which that is affecting the the quality of some of the shots that they're taking, but it might be. Yeah, I I think you're I think you're potentially right. And and Tyrese Proctor, he feels like a guy. You know, I think we forget that he's supposed to still be in high school, <laughs> and that he only showed up. You know, yeah. he or not that he only showed up a few months ago because now it's now it's been some time, but that he did show up after everyone else did this right. summer. So to the extent that there's like some integration issues that are still going on with him, that, that, that might be present and it might take a few more weeks for him to get comfortable, not, you know, being a Duke and and being with the team, but actually like executing the, the plays with with these teammates. Uh, so my bad uh, was not Tyrese Proctor. Um, if I have to pick a player, it's Derek Whitehead. And I, I want to be clear. I'm not, I'm not blaming him for being bad. He is clearly still working off a lot of rust. And, and it sort of sounds like, you know, the, the rumors, the hints that we're getting, the things that they're saying in press conferences and the such, it seems like Duke doesn't really expect him. They don't expect Whitehead to be back at who he really will be for a few more weeks. Um, you know, maybe not even until we get a little bit closer to Christmas. Uh, you know, he he only played 10 minutes in this game. That's going to change. There, there's no question that this guy is going to play 25, 30 minutes at least, uh, you know, by the time we we hit Christmas time or so. And, and I think that this game probably was one where his rust was more of a concern for Shire than it might be in some other games. And that's because of the way Bellerman plays offense. And... Whitehead may not be ready yet to play the kind of communicating defense, you know, the kind of switching. Duke was switching one through five, by the way, in this game. Uh, you know, anytime Bellerman set a screen, anytime Bellman did one of those handoffs, 
uh, the you know Duke switched rather than letting you know a Bellerman guy um, you know get a run into the lane where they can cause more trouble. And, and I think that Whitehead may not have been ready for that level of defense. Also, his shot is just it's just clearly not there yet. And then the other thing I want to mention the badges very quickly. We talked about the fact that Bellerman loves to backdoor you, and they got some backdoors on us. But the thing that surprised me was it seemed like they got them on Jeremy Roach, most experienced player on the floor. And it seemed to me like the guy who seemed to get burned more than anyone else on the back door was Jeremy Roach. I think I counted three times in the first half alone where they uh, they, they were able to get, you know, get Jeremy Roach turned the wrong direction and get a layup out of it. Uh, I, I also want to note, I don't know if it's good or bad, but, you know, congrats to Bellarmine for making some shots that they had no business making. There were a couple of times they put up shots. I was just like, how did that, you know, how'd you do that? And it went in the bucket. So, you know, and even doing that, they couldn't get to 60 points on Duke. All right, Sam, what's our play of the game? You you already teed it up a little bit, right? I said that the the Jalen Blake's, I don't know if you want to call it a layup, the the falling, uh, driving jumper uh, thing where he's he's like sideways by the time he gets the ball up, uh, but clearly is still in control. That's my play of the game. Yeah, you know, I looked back on the game, I, and I usually take notes of when I see a play that I'm like, oh, that's a potential play of the game. I didn't really have any. Like, there, there was... You know, Lively had another one of those pass out of the post into the corner for a three-pointer. I want to say it was Granderson that hit the three-pointer, but it was, you know, and I feel I feel a little bit guilty about making that my play of the game again because that was my play of the game last game. But it was, again, an incredible pass from Lively. He was double-teamed on the play. In fact, when we passed it to him, I was like, whoa, what is he going to do with the ball? And he whipped it so quickly. So that's half of my play of the game. The other half of my play of the game, is another lively play at the other end of the floor. There was a possession where Bellerman got the ball in the post on lively. And the guy that he was guarding probably put up four fakes that would have sent anyone else jumping into the rafters and lively held his ground, stayed still and waited and waited and waited. And when the guy finally put up his shot, lively blocked it. It's not something that you're going to go back and go. I remember that, you know, wow, that's an incredible. But to me, I was like, that is the epitome of playing smart defense and using your length and height advantage to take advantage of the other team. So Derek Lively, for the pass and for the block shot, gets my play of the game. And as much as you mentioned, Jason, Whitehead still coming back from injury, it feels like Lively is is very quietly easing into the role that he is going to play when he's at full strength for Duke this year. Not the biggest scorer on the team, but a facilitator in a lot of different ways, both passing and on defense. Yeah, by the way, folks, if you uh, there are people out there who feel like Lively isn't doing a lot for this team because they're only focused on offense, you you need to just watch him a bit on defense. He is he's something special and Duke's going to be playing some bigger teams coming up. We're about to preview that and Lively is going to be essential to the defense. One guy I don't think we talked about enough earlier on this game and someone who I I think we were tough on early in the season or have been tough on so far is Jeremy Roach. Uh not not jumping off the page in terms of statistical performance, but 10 points yesterday with five assists plays, you know, much more his own game in this one. And I, I don't think we need, I don't think Duke needs Jeremy Roach to be a big time scorer for this team. I don't even think based on all the length and, and athleticism that Duke has on the perimeter, that Duke needs Jeremy Roach to be the best perimeter defender. Although there will be nights where he is just because of, because of his savvy and his experience, but Jeremy Roach plays a really solid game yesterday for Duke. And I hope that we see that that kind of steady play from him continue. All right. 
Time for us to take a break. When we come back, we look ahead to the Feast Week holiday tournament that the Blue Devils have and the best player you've never heard of in college basketball. All right, we're back from the break, and it's time to look ahead to the PK-85. This is a it's a 16-team tournament being held out at Nike headquarters out, out there in uh, on the West Coast, um, but they've got it divided into two eight-team brackets. And in Duke's bracket, their first game will be against Oregon State. And Sam, before I come to you at all, I'm just going to tell you very quickly that Oregon State might be the worst Power 5 team in the country. <laughs> they are giving Louisville and Cal a run for their money for the title of the worst power five team in all of college basketball in their most recent game, Oregon state lost to Portland state by 13 points. And Ken Pomeroy, Ken Pomeroy says Portland state is the 261st best team in the land. Woo. This is not a good team. Sam, what do you have to tell me about Oregon state? Well, I was going to say on the Portland state game, that's basically like the, the prelims, to the Phil yes, Knight Legacy yeah. Tournament because both of those teams are playing in in the Duke and Gonzaga version of the tournament, not the UNC version of the tournament that's going on at the same time. So on on Oregon State, um, I, I think you covered the the basics here, which is that of all the Power Five schools that Duke is going to face this season, this should be one of the easier games after we adjust for the fact that Duke has to travel all the way to Portland and Oregon state has to get on the bus to get to Portland. Other than that, Duke should have the advantage everywhere. Uh, Oregon state, by the way, last year went three and 28 and I'm unsure. Dude, as to dude, why. Wait, repeat that number again. Wow. So they went, so they went three and 28. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm not sure why Wayne Tinkle is still working there. Uh, Wayne Tinkle was the was the coach at Montana for a long time. Duke fans may remember that uh, Duke played Montana when Wayne Tinkle was the was the head coach there. I believe it was when I was in school and the crazies did a I thought it was not a particularly clever cheer uh, for Wayne Tinkle, but he's now the coach at Oregon State. He's had a couple of good years there. He he made the Elite Eight two years ago in in one of the I mean, most that's, like that's why he's still there. I mean, there there's some goodwill there, but but that was like one of the most miraculous, unexpected, dumb luck things to happen to a program that any, I mean, and and this, that's not St. Peter's making the elite eight. This was like a not so good Oregon state team. It squeaked into the tournament. And I think they, they had won the PAC 12 tournament, right? They, they, they yeah. shouldn't have even made um, the NCAA tournament. So they went on this, this run at the end of the season last year, they go again, it's three and 28. And Tinkle doesn't get fired, so I'm not sure what he has on the administration there. But he's still there. Uh, there are a few guys on this Oregon State team that are at least sort of, I'd say, moderately uh, interesting. The one that I wanted to highlight was Dexter Acano. Uh, he's a uh, he's a guard that that kind of does everything for Oregon State. He's averaging ten points, three boards, and and three assists for them. And if it's of interest, he played at prior to being at Oregon State. He was at Marquette. And played for Steve Wojciechowski during Wojo's last year there before before he was fired from Marquette. So if anyone has a little bit of intel on you know the way that, that Duke is running things, uh, Dexter Acano has you know some some uh, tertiary I'd say Duke connections there. All right, so I'll give you a few advanced stats on Oregon State very quickly. 
Uh, Ken Pomeroy says they're the 238th best team in the country. That's not good. Um, they are a team that plays slow. They have the 274th slowest pace in the land. They play equally slow on offense and defense. Um, they are finally a tall team. Duke has been mostly even playing small teams. Duke finally gets to play a tall team. Ken Pomeroy says that Oregon State is the 17th tallest team in all of D1. And that's not because they have a bunch of seven-footers. They've got one guy who's seven feet. He's, uh, you know, he's he comes off the bench. He doesn't play a ton. But the rest of the team is a lot of guys who are like between 6'6 six, six and 6'9". Six, so that so and and that that's actually fairly similar to Duke but for Duke this is going to be an adjustment playing against guys who are the same size we have mostly been playing teams where the guys are much smaller than us they've got a lot of Mark Mitchell sized guys running exactly. around in Oregon yeah. state yeah not a lot of Kyle Filipowski's but but right. a lot of Mark Mitchells right uh, on offense uh this Oregon state team is terrible i mean terrible about turnovers almost 25% almost a quarter of their possessions end in a turnover that's horrible they're a bad three-point shooting team they only hit about 25 percent from three so far this year i know it's early in the season i know we're talking small sample size 25 percent, not good they're at least smart enough to not shoot a lot of three-pointers but they don't hit them when they do shoot them they do a good job of drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line which as i mentioned earlier is something duke is absolutely elite at not allowing teams to the free throw line so that'll be an interesting test for oregon state and they, they do a decent job, a pretty good job of hitting two-point shots. I said they don't shoot a lot of threes. They shoot a lot of twos, and they tend to hit their twos pretty well, hit better than 50% from two-point field goal land. On defense, they are a good shot-blocking team, and they don't let teams hit a lot of two-pointers as a result, but they're just an average rebounding team. And then the last thing I wanted to mention, you you mentioned already one of the guards, but their, their point guard and two wings, those three guys play like – 30 plus minutes all those guys are going to be in the game the entire time they do some rotation on the front line but their backcourt they know who they want they know who what they've got and those guys are going to play the whole game which could be a problem because duke does a lot more rotating and if duke is able to speed the game up a little bit that could be trouble for oregon state the thing that i want to emphasize though on that uh jason is that while those guys uh, while those guards are are you know uh regular uh, players who aren't who like aren't coming out of the game for OSU, none of them would be starters at Duke. Uh, oh God, no! They've yeah. got they've got a they've got a freshman point guard Jordan Pope, um, who's having a pretty good season, especially for a freshman. He was a three star recruit, um, you know, sort of like a he was like a Jordan Goldwire level recruit coming in, and, and and he's one of the the key starters for them. So I really hope that Duke doesn't make this an interesting game. Not only because you know it would be bad that that Duke is playing competitively against a team that's ranked in the 200s, but also that they then have two more difficult games the rest of the weekend. Right. And let's get to previewing the next of those because assuming, well, win or lose, assuming we beat Oregon State, we will play the winner of a game between Florida and Xavier. If we, if we lose, we'll play the loser of the game between Florida and Xavier. And to be honest, Florida and Xavier, basically the same team. <laughs> <laughs> at least in terms of like their Ken Palm ranking. Um, let, let me go ahead and give you a little bit of my advanced stats. Well, let's take Xavier first, Sam, and then we'll do Florida. For Xavier, they are the number 33 team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. Uh, he says they have a top 20 offense, so this is a really good offensive team. They've so far had three relatively uneventful games that they won, and then they played Indiana. A very good team. Indiana's really good. And they only lost that game by two points. That 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 shows you that Xavier is for real. Um, they're a team that does not shoot a lot of three-pointers. 
But when they do, wow, they really hit it. They're hitting 44% from three. That's a huge number. Their center, Jack Nudge, does not mind ranging out to three and shooting three-pointers. Derek Lively, Kyle Filipowski, Ryan Young, who's ever guarding Jack Nudge, is going to need to be aware that he is willing to go outside and shoot three-pointers. And get this, he's hitting better than 50% from three-point range on the season. Like Duke, Xavier is an elite rebounding team. They are 16th in the country at offensive rebounds. And they have this one really bizarre stat about them on their turnovers. They they give up a ton of steals. Like they're one of the 10 worst teams in the country at giving up steals. Like they will give you the ball, but they don't give it up in other ways. There's this stat called non-steal turnovers. We've talked about this before on the podcast, which is stuff like, you know, oh, do you travel with the ball? Do you throw it out of bounds? Do you commit an offensive foul? Non-steal turnovers. Oregon State is the 11th best team in the land at non-steal turnovers. So they're one of the 10 worst teams at steals, at giving up steals, but they're one of the 11 best teams at not giving it up in other ways. It's sort of this weird, quirky thing about their about the way they run their offense. And Jason, to what, to talk a little bit more about the, the individual players in relation to this, a lot of Xavier's best players are big, experienced guys. So... Big guys tend to have a hard time holding on to the ball. That's just a, a fact of, of being a big man. Yep. But but looking up and down there, you know, if you look at sort of who's who's getting the most minutes for them, it's seniors and juniors and seniors and juniors. It, it, it's all experienced guys, a lot of guys playing in their fifth years. So uh, but the you know, some of the top players are guys like Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle, who are big men. And so if you can't take the ball out of their hands, uh Perhaps they're perhaps they're it's because they're playing slower. Although I don't think that's the case for Xavier because they because they do play at a fairly fast tempo. But if you can't get the ball out of their hands, they are smart with it. So this is a, a team that's really well coached. Um, they're they're led by Sean Miller, who whatever you think about the the way that he has run programs in the past, he is undeniably a smart coach. He he knows how to get teams ready, and uh, and I imagine is is walking around with a bit of a chip on his shoulder these days. Yeah, for sure. All right, should should we get to Florida? Jason, before we move to talking about Florida, I did want to highlight one player for Xavier, and that's Jack Nunji. I had mentioned him before as one of the the big experienced guys on this team. Nunji is, I think he's a fifth-year senior. He he was at Iowa where he was a bench player, and since he's been at Xavier, this is now his second season, he has been a star for them. He's up to averaging 17 and 7 rebounds this year uh, so far for Xavier. And as a seven footer who, who scores the ball, I imagine he is going to be a focal point for Duke on defense, whether it's Kyle Filipowski or Derek Lively, or even Ryan Young, who has to guard this guy. He has moves, uh, he can shoot it, and and is probably unlike any player that Duke has seen so far this season. Okay, so with that, let's get to Xavier's opponent, who might be Duke's next opponent, and that is the Florida Gators. Florida is number 36 in Ken Palm. I, I mentioned that Xavier's 33, Florida's 36. They are equally good on offense and defense. They're like a top 40 team at both those aspects of the ball. On offense, they do a really good job of holding on to the ball, not committing turnovers and getting a good shot. They shoot the ball well from three-point range and 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 also from the free throw line. This is a team that, that are decent shooters. Uh, on defense, they are very good shot blockers and they are excellent at defensive rebounding, 17th best defensive rebounding team in the country. As I've mentioned repeatedly on this broadcast in recent weeks and today, 
They are uh, Duke is an outstanding offensive rebounding team. It is one of our biggest strengths. And in Florida, we're going to be facing a team that does not give up offensive rebounds. So let's get to the most interesting thing about Florida. We have teased this earlier. We've talked about this. Colin Castleton. I bet most of our viewers have not viewers, listeners, whatever the heck they are. People who are consuming this podcast, most of them probably have not heard of Colin Castleton. Guess what, folks? You need to learn the name. He is probably the best player in the country you've never heard of. Fifth-year senior who's averaging 25.5 points per game and 8.8 rebounds per game. And by the way, blocking 3.3 shots per game. But I'm getting into the player. Sam, that is your area. Tell me more about the truly impressive big man for the Florida Gators. I suppose if, you, if you're if you a big college basketball fan, you may have heard of him because he is a fifth-year senior. This is not someone that came out of nowhere. He yeah, but, had... but, but like last year, he only averaged 16 points per game. You know, it's only, not like only was, 16 points per day. Well, now he's I mean, up that's to good, but I'm, not, I'm saying like he would not have been someone that you would have said, oh, this guy's in the SEC player of the year, national player of the year conversation this year. And now he absolutely he is. is. Yes. And, and he had and he had been at, at Michigan for a couple of years before he transferred to Florida. So uh, has been in in big time college basketball for a long time. But you said the you gave us the headline stats. 25 points and 8.8 rebounds a game. This is not a guy that, that you're ever going to lose track of. There are very few guys in in D1, especially high level D1 basketball, that are averaging um, that are averaging over 20 points a game. So uh, incredible for him. He's he's not the best three point shooter. He's he's only started taking three pointers this year. And so I do wonder for Duke, given that so much of the offense runs through Castleton, I do wonder the extent to which Duke is going to try to, to push him out and make him uncomfortable. This is always the question when you play a team that has one truly elite guy, and they have some other very good players. Florida is not a bad team. You said that they're they're in the 30s in Ken Palm. They very much are, are going to make the NCAA tournament potentially as an at-large bid, if not winning the SEC, although the SEC has so many good programs. But Florida is a very good team. All of that said, the offense entirely runs through Castleton. And so the question is, does Duke – let Castleton get his points and try to stop everyone else, or do they really focus on him? I think given Duke's strengths on defense, especially given Duke's size on defense, that they should be able to to push him around. Not, I mean, they're not going to completely knock him over, but push him around and, and make him feel enough pressure that he's going to have to pass the ball out a little bit. He's going to have to you know, adjust his game to, to play against Duke's really tough, really strong, and really defensively minded front line. Well, Colin Castleton is 6'11", 7 feet, and he's 240 pounds. Uh, you know, that is... You can't knock him over. That's why I said... Yeah, that's going to be a challenge. Um, like, you know, I, th- I bet Ryan Young, you know, will be up to pushing him around some, but for Kyle... Ryan Fitt, Young's probably... Up- Ryan Young's probably licking his chops for the, for this potential matchup, right? Like, <laughs> like he's he's excited on, on Friday to either get to face Jack Dungey or Colin Castleton, both of whom are, like, big experienced dudes. So Ryan Young's like, these are, these are my guys. Let me, let me add them. Yeah. Although it's worth noting that my bet would be, you will see mostly lively and Filipowski um, playing against those guys. And I think, I think, you know, lively, especially with his defensive instincts and his, his ability with his length to bother guys. I think it's a fascinating matchup between him and Colin Castleton. All right, Sam, is that going to do it for us? We got anything else here or uh, we're just, we're excited for Thanksgiving, right? The the other couple of notes about about this tournament. So Duke plays Thursday afternoon. Uh, so when you're 
depending on on your on your family's traditions, you may be sitting down to Thanksgiving dinner at 3 p.m. Eastern when Duke is is tipping <laughs> off against Oregon State. So just be just be mindful of that. And if you think that the game on Thursday is too early for prime time, oh my God, the game on Friday, assuming that Duke beats Oregon State, is going to be so late. Uh, you might as well take a nap early in the day because uh, depending on how long the first game goes, the hopefully Oregon State versus the loser of, of Florida and Xavier, the Duke game is going to tip no earlier than 11.30 p.m. Eastern, which is a, a cool 8.30 on the West Coast. And uh, if you're really into World Cup, you might just like nap all day. You might get up on Friday, do your shopping, come home, take like a six-hour nap. This is all assuming that you're on the East Coast. Uh, wake up for the for the Duke game, which is going to tip off like around midnight. And then, you know, stay up for, for one or two World Cup games just to really like <laughs> totally ruin your weekend. Uh, then Duke gets a break on Saturday, no matter what happens in these games. I think, Jason, the plan is that we're going to come back on Saturday to talk about Yes. What happened in those two games and then preview the the game on Sunday. We're sort of hoping, at least I'm hoping, that Duke gets Gonzaga in that in that championship game. Purdue and West Virginia are also waiting on the other side of the bracket. So right. two other two game, good teams. It, it, and Gonzaga has not looked like world beaters so far. So it it could happen. It could be. So that game would be Sunday afternoon. So that's just sort of the the preview of your of your timing for the weekend. Obviously, Duke plays Wake Forest in in football on Saturday. And then if you're also following the women's version of the Phil Knight legacy bracket, uh, Duke gets UConn in the afternoon on Friday. So if you do my nap thing, you can't watch the Duke UConn game. Uh, that's at 3 PM um, Pacific time. So it'll be about 6 PM. So later afternoon uh, on, on Friday. And then if Duke is able to beat UConn, which we would love to have that happen. Uh, if Duke is able to beat UConn, then they play in the championship game, which is like around midday on Sunday. If they lose, then uh, the Duke women are going to play, I think, later in the day on, on Sunday. I think that's actually even Sunday night. So uh, if and you're trying to way, follow all of this this weekend, you're not going to get any sleep, but, especially but if you're watching World Cup. UConn isn't even the best team in the it, it, you know in that women's field because Iowa's in that field. And I think they're considered better than you. It is a really impressive field that that the uh, Duke women will be wading into uh, in that, in that tournament. But I'm, I'm glad you reminded folks that come on Saturday, people, you know, if you want to hear our recap of the first two games of the PK 85, we will do that on Saturday in advance of Duke's game on Sunday, which again, we hope will be Gonzaga. We hope will be the championship game. That would, that's, you know, certainly, you know, what we, what we're pointing toward. All right, Sam, thanks for joining me, everybody out there. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to send us those emails at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We haven't mentioned this in a while, but we still love it. If you would go onto your app or whatever it is you use to consume podcasts and give us a nice review or rating, like us, subscribe, all that kind of jazz. These are things that matter, that help other Duke fans to find the DBR podcast. And they ensure that once you found it, you will never miss out on a single episode. Donald could not be with us because he's over in gutter. But Sam and I will be here all weekend to give you all the latest. Till then, here's the Duke Band. Play us out and take us home. So remember, our goal, no mistakes. <laughs> if you make an error, plow on through. <clears throat> because you don't have a computer to edit and... I have limited time to edit before I get out of town 
and Donald's in Doha. So, <laughs> yep. by the way, did you, uh, yeah, I'm sure you didn't because it was the middle of the night for you. The Saudi Arabia, Argentina. I didn't match. watch it. I, I wow. woke up. It was already over. Yeah. Wow. I know. Crazy. Yeah. I, 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 woke, I woke up just as it was ending. Um, it, it was actually kind of funny. I, I, um, at CNN uh, International, there are certain stories that they tend to give to me more than others. Like I get, I get all the space stories. I get all the sports stories. I get all the entertainment stories. And I typically get a lot of U.S. politics stories. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down at my computer to start work today. And I saw that the lead on the first show that I was writing on was, it said Saudi Arabia. And, and my initials were on it. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm writing. I'm, I wonder what I'm writing about Saudi Arabia. Yeah. <laughs> I was writing about the World Cup. I was like, oh, shit. Saudi Arabia won. Not the, not the Saudi Arabia topic that you usually expect. No, it was not. But I'm the sports guy, so I got that story. It was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, it was a fun morning of uh, working at CNN, let me tell you. I have uh, one of my best friends from growing up. His uh, parents are from Argentina. He is pissed. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? They're not out. I mean, all they have to do is no. Mexico and Poland. They'll go through. So, right. You know. I mean, and that's not, they're good enough that they can do that. Right. Where's Donald when we need him? I know. Ha, 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 ha.